welcome to another episode of EMIGCAST. I'm Nick Hall, a fourth-year medical student at Oregon Health and Science University and your host for today. In this episode, I will be talking about emergency medicine critical care with Dr. Ran Ran, a faculty member at OHSU who is board certified in emergency medicine in critical care. In addition to being complementary specialties that require similar skill sets and prioritize care of the critically ill, the ability to provide critical care is becoming an increasingly necessary skill for all emergency physicians as wait times for ICU beds in American EDs can stretch from anywhere from hours to days. One way that emergency physicians can become more comfortable delivering that level of care is by pursuing a critical care fellowship after residency, which allows graduates to work in an ICU setting as well. Dr. Ran is one physician who has completed this path, and today we will be talking about his road to critical care and what interested medical students need to consider when thinking about taking that road themselves. Without further ado, welcome to the episode, Dr. Ran. Would you mind telling us about your pathway from emergency medicine to critical care and why you chose that route? Sure. Uh, So I'm Ran Ran. I uh, am an emergency and critical care physician. I currently work at OHSU as one of the faculty in emergency medicine and critical care. Um, Part of my work involves working in the emergency department at OHSU. I also work in a medical ICU, the cardiovascular ICU. I do some tele-ICU, and I also do ECMO and transport ECMO. So my practice patterns are pretty broad. My path to getting where I was was um, I did medical school in WashU at St. Louis. And there, uh, I really was torn between what uh, residency I wanted to select. I really liked all the different fields of medicine. And I think that's pretty common among those of us who pick emergency medicine is we really couldn't make up our minds in medical school. Uh, and I really liked my emergency rotation. At WashU, they in particular had a lot of resuscitations, a lot of really sick patients, and I remember falling in love with that. I, Like most medical students, I actually didn't have an opportunity to do a critical care or ICU rotation till my fourth year mm-hmm. after I already made my decision on emergency medicine. I was torn between emergency anesthesia and internal medicine, and I really fell in love with my ICU rotation as a fourth year medical student. Like I thought I knew the ins and outs of medicine and what things are, how things worked. And then I went to the ICU and I was like, wow, I really don't know anything. And that was where I realized I learned the most. Uh, I did not regret at all doing my residency in emergency medicine, which I did at OHSU. But uh, I remember still being just as taken aback even as a resident when I was rotating through the ICU, just at how much I was learning. And really, this is what I was signing up for. When I signed up for emergency medicine, I was signing up to take care of the sickest patients. And they were all conglomerated and focused in one spot, essentially. In uh, my final year in emergency, I was really torn between working, and I was ready to work. I was ready to be an emergency physician or doing a fellowship of some kind. And I I could only imagine doing it in critical care. And uh, so it was no brainer when OHSU offered me a spot in their critical care fellowship that I took it. And I finished that in two years and it was one of the best experiences of my life. It was just really focused on learning about exactly what I signed up for 
how to manage the very sick patients. And thereafter, my practice pattern is, as I described before, a mixture of emergency medicine and critical care. I bring both of the worlds together, I think. Um, a lot of the ICU knowledge I've gained, I bring to the emergency room. Because I, 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 these lines are somewhat arbitrary. You know, this is the ER, this is what we do. And that's the ICU, that's what they do. That's very arbitrary. I'll do exactly what the patient needs. And where you are physically shouldn't really matter. If you have a problem that needs critical care, I will provide that. Um, and I definitely bring some of the ER to the ICU as well. You know, where typically it's more of a, um, you know, it, it's more of a thinking environment and more internal medicine-y. And I bring the elements of, well, here's my OB knowledge. Here's my knowledge about even simple things like wound repair, um, and I'll just bring that all together. Because again, there's there's these delineations are all very arbitrary. Um, medicine is, it turns out medicine is too big for anybody to really practice all of it. But that's been my earnest goal throughout my pathway is to just be the best physician, period. Not the best emergency physician or best critical care physician. Just be the best physician, period. Thank you. What do you enjoy most about the job that you get to do right now? Uh, there's there's different elements that I enjoy. Like in the emergency medicine world, one of the true joys is being the very first interaction with a patient. You're kind of the gatekeeper. And in that sense, there's no bias. So you have to figure everything out from scratch. And, and that's amazing. Your physical exam probably mean more than anybody else's physical exam because you get to selectively choose and identify what type of exam is pertinent. Your, the lab test that you get on the patient, there's some true earnest surprises there, you know? Because mm -hmm. you can't really tell based on the exam that your creatinine is going to be six. And there it is. When it, when it first pops up and it's six, wow, that surprise is very interesting. And, and there's a lot of dopamine that sparks when you make a diagnosis or, or even start the pathway on a diagnosis. So the emergency physician part of me really rejoices in the ability to see an undifferentiated patient and making diagnoses and giving some order to the chaos that's out there. The critical care physician really rejoices in, yeah, now you got the problem, so what? What's next? How do I deal with this? How do I, what is the next series of steps and in what time frame and order should they be taken? And it, it further organizes that for more. Um, Granted, the diagnosis mostly has been made at this point, or maybe you're refining it, but the, the true refinement is how do you best support the patient and offer supportive care? Uh, so there's a huge element of figuring things out, and there's also the element of doing. And uh, the other element that gives me a true joy is, you know, I remember writing this in my personal statement, and most people do write this in their personal statement when they go into emergency medicine, is that we pick emergency medicine because we envision ourselves or we want to be that doctor that people envision when they cry or scream for doctor. That's what the emergency medicine physician is. The lay person who is crying out for a doctor, what, who they're crying out for is an emergency medicine physician. Um, on the other hand of things, after emergency medicine residency, I wanted to be that physician that other people are envisioning when the when a physician is crying out for help, 
when a physician is saying, I need help, they're really picturing an, a critical care physician coming to their aid. And so that's a corollary. That's the difference. Um, one's going to try and figure things out and get things started. The other one's going to take you through the hardest part. Thank you for that answer. You have already alluded to the fact that mastering each specialty has helped you become better at the other. Do you have additional examples of how being an emergency physician helped you be a better critical care doctor or vice versa? Yeah, absolutely. The emergency medicine part of me is the get it done kind of attitude. Um, for example, you know, we see an assortment of problems in the ICU. Most of them are focused around critical care, but patients can just as easily come in with non-critical care issues that are just as pressing, but just not very common in the ICU world. Like for example, we had a patient, a young female who was here with septic shock. And on the differential somewhere along the history is whether or not she could have toxic shock sy syndrome from a retained tampon. You know, and the internal medicine doctors are very excited when they even consider such a diagnosis because they did a good history. You know, they, they asked the people around them about this idea of a retained tampon. But once this idea has been posed and once this is a possibility, what next? The internal medicine doctors nowadays don't have any idea how to do a vaginal exam. And so the, the plan, for example, overnight was, yeah, we'll wait till morning and call OB-GYN to do a vaginal exam. So I show up in the morning and that's ridiculous to me. That idea is ridiculous to me. Of course, patient sees a vaginal exam. That's part of the physical exam. Why would we wait for another doctor? Why would we delegate that to OB-GYN who are specialists and surgeons and interrupt their schedules for something so simple? Boom, it's done in the morning. We do a by manual exam, we do a speculum exam, no foreign body, taken care of. Um, another patient, you know, he's there for some critical care issue, but he's getting like two milligrams of Dilaudid every hour. And it was strange, like why would this patient need so much pain medicine? Well, he's complaining of, of a very painful finger. And, you know, fingers are are not something that most intensivists even really care about or internal medicine doctors really think about. And lo and behold, I go examine the patient and, and he has a felon. It's very simple. He has a felon and, and the distension of that space is very painful. And in the next 15 minutes, I drain the felon, the pain goes away, the problem is resolved. So it's a simple problem in comparison to multi-organ failure or shock or cardiogenic shock. Nevertheless, it's a problem. And the emergency medicine background of me, for me, has taught me to deal with all sorts of problems. And patients don't just come in with a critical or a non-critical problem. They come in with an assortment of problems. And the point is to treat them all as a person afflicted by assortment problems rather than treat the person as a problem. Thank you. And now to, to explore the flip side of all of those things, what are some of your frustrations or annoyances with critical care and emergency medicine? Mm, I think both, both systems um, don't work in isolation. Like they work as a part of a greater whole, which is a healthcare system. And both systems can be um, thought of as a rescue system for this greater whole. You know, when all the clinics are shut down, the patients 
aren't don't have anywhere else to go so they go to the emergency department they're not going there with an emergency they're going there because they have nowhere else to go so the emergency mm -hmm. department is an encapsulment area for patients that even don't have emergencies and the truth is in america in particular where um, the healthcare system is not very efficient the emergency um, department is is stressed to take a lot of these as as the uh main patient population that they see. And consequently, most emergency department visits are actually not emergencies. You know, there's some extension of primary care, some expansion of psychiatric care because our psychiatric system is overwhelmed and can't handle it. And that can be very frustrating. That's not really our job. That's really not what we're trained to do. Um, and we all recognize this, but emergency medicine, unlike any other specialty, doesn't have the right to say, mm -mm, not my problem. Technically, everything is our problem. And so we just have to bear it. And our responsibilities have shifted. You know, uh, whereas you would think it's rational that the emergency physician is responsible and held accountable to how they treat emergencies. Instead, today, the emergency physician is held accountable for primary care issues, which is to prevent emergencies. You know, even look at all the studies on chest pain. We're stressing ourselves out over, well, even if they had chest pain today, what are the chances they'll have a MI in the next three months? And that's called a, you know, major adverse, major adverse cardiovascular event in the next three months. Is it really my job to prevent you from having a major adverse cardiac event in the next three months? Or is it my job to tell you the chest pain you're having today is a major adverse cardiac event? They're two different questions. They're two different problems and require two totally different systems for figuring things out because nobody has a crystal ball. It's quite, it's quite unfair to ask an emergency physician who has no clinic, who has no follow-up responsibilities or training to try and predict and prevent something that might happen in the next three months. Critical care faces a similar problem. Again, it doesn't involve, it doesn't um, exist in isolation. It's a safety net for the rest of the hospital. If anything, any patient um, really can't be taken care of where they are, they'll go to the ICU. And one of the problems is if the wards are overstressed or they can't do their job, then that will fall upon the ICU. And some of the things that we've seen is that um, that can be, that, that resource can be misutilized. You know, one of the terms that I think is killing medicine is I am uncomfortable. And it's spoken by more and more physicians every day on the wards. I am uncomfortable with this, therefore I see you. And the question of whether or not it's actually critical or not doesn't even enter in the equation. The truth is no patient in the ICU makes the ICU physician comfortable. They're all very sick. We're not comfortable with that either. Their comfort doesn't have any bearing on, as to whether or not I'm going to take care of them. I could be extremely uncomfortable, but I'm still going to take care of you. That's kind of the can-do attitude we, we need today. Um, and so it's the frustration really is not within the field itself. I think both fields do a phenomenal job. Both fields are face incredibly difficult problems. Both fields do the best they can with the resources they have. Um, the frustration is when the fields themselves aren't working uh, well within a system 
when both fields are being overstressed or overburdened um, because the entire healthcare system is overstressed and overburdened. We feel we all feel it together. Thank you. And knowing all these things, the things you like about both these fields and the things that you don't like, are there any is there anything that you would change or do differently if you could go back to the beginning of residency or fellowship? No, I really wouldn't. I think uh, I consider myself very lucky. I think the pathway towards critical care had previously been, you know, medicine, surgery, or anesthesia. And emergency medicine wasn't really a pathway to critical care. And uh, when I picked emergency, I certainly wasn't thinking of critical care. And I would have been quite sad if I did medicine 10 years ago and that pathway didn't exist. But it, it does now. And so I can't be happier with the residency I've chosen in emergency medicine. And I can't be happier for having chosen critical care as a subspecialty. I think the only exception to that is for those of you who want to do a sub subspecialty, you know, like critical care plus cardiology. That combination is really important to you. Then you, you know, you, is that still not achievable through emergency medicine? You'd have to go through internal. If you wanted to do pulmonary and critical care, you'd have to go through internal medicine. Um, so there are still certain pathways that only has a single pathway to it. Um, but critical care now has four pathways to to achieving that, uh, which is fantastic. All right. I, I like the sound of all of that. Certainly critical care is one of the things that I've become interested in when I, uh, on my ICU rotations, having, I think, seen some of the interesting things and complex problems and kind of identified with wanting to solve them. So, I'm a fourth year medical student now. I'm applying into emergency medicine. Are there any things that I need to keep in mind right now in thinking about applying to critical care fellowships down the road, other than what you already talked about? Uh, I mean, the, knowing the timeline is kind of important. So knowing that by the second year, if so, if you're going into a three-year program by the second year of your third year by, of your three-year program, you'll need to apply. So by the end of your mm -hmm. second year. So if there's any reservation or any, mm, uh, if, if you need your mind made up, you have two years to really make that up. The other thing to know is what is the requisites for going from emergency to critical care? And this is an element that most people don't know. Um, I should say, actually, I'm gonna be the new, I am the new program director for critical care medicine at OHSU. So this is something I, I can speak to, which is okay. that you will need three months of ICU in medical or uh, and specifically three months of medical ICU to be eligible for a critical care fellowship. And you need three months of some sort of medicine to be eligible. So that's six months total out of your three years of residency. That's a lot of time. And most people really aren't able to pull that off. So most of the fellowships have fudged the rules a little bit. They kind of let you be an intern for one more month out of your first year or maybe two months out of your first year as a fellow to get you up to speed on that requisite. That's a little annoying for us, to be honest. It's, it would be better if you're able to kind of just 
satisfy the prerequisites as you would, you know, applying to med school or applying to residency that nobody else fudges these rules as we do. But three months of medical ICU, make sure you get that in your first two years or have a plan for getting that in your third year and another three months of some sort of medicine. So whether that's CVICU, whether that's medicine ward, whatever, it has to be something on medicine for you, for you to count. So six months total. That was hard to pull off. Uh, I remember when I went through the process, I really had to rearrange my schedule, and most of us do, quite dramatically to make it work. So, I mean, I probably wouldn't bring that up to your residency interviews because that's kind of annoying to them. So just, just get in, get your foot through the door. You know, you're in, fantastic. Hey, I'm interested in critical care and I'm thinking about doing it. Can I restructure my, you know, rotations a bit so I can match these prerequisites? That's how you want to play that game. But you're you're saying that I should take my interest in critical care out of my personal statement right now. You, I mean, you can leave it in. Um, you can leave it in. But I wouldn't start asking during your interviews or negotiate during your interviews whether you could change your schedule around. Right. <laughs> so uh, everyone, I think all of us in emergency medicine is interested in critical care. So when, when thinking about critical care uh, coming from the emergency medicine track, my understanding is there are uh, at least three and potentially more paths. You can go through surgery, like you mentioned, you can go through anesthesiology, and then you can go through internal medicine. Are there any major differences between those three pathways? Um, it's really fellowship and institution dependent. So you're gonna basically each of those pathways um, have have weighted where their fellows spend their time differently. Mm -hmm. So through medical ICU at OHSU, the weight is predominantly in the medical ICU, and then we spend a the next most would be in the cardiovascular ICU, and then the neuro and trauma ICU is is very few unless you want more months, then you can reschedule it that way. And obviously, if you went through the surgical ICU track, you're almost always in the surgical ICU. And your time in the medical ICU might just be a single month. Um, so it kind of depends on what you envision, uh, what where you're going to work, uh, what that's going to look like. It also depends on like what kind of problems you want to be more ex expert in, because experience is everything. Um, you being in the surgical ICU all the time is not going to make you that strong in the medical ICU. Uh, so that critical care degree you have, it means different things depending on where you did your training, what you saw, what experience you've had, who your mentors were. You know, all of these things look very, very different. I see. You yourself went through an internal medicine certified critical care track. Do you feel like emergency medicine residency prepared you adequately for that experience? The truth is everyone learns quite differently and how much your the program prepares you versus you prepared yourself depends on how you learn. I would say that, and I can only speak to myself on this, my learning style has always been a very independent one. Honestly, uh, it wouldn't have mattered 
where you put me for med school or residency or even fellowship, um, the opportunities would have been made. You know, like uh, it doesn't matter if this course was available or not, or this ultrasound groove is here or not. Like I'm going to teach myself anything that someone else isn't teaching me. Or even if someone did offer to teach me, I'm still going to end up teaching myself by looking at a vast array of resources. And that's the thing about um, emergency medicine. The way I learned emergency medicine was, yeah, I mean, there's a curriculum that people built and things that people wanted you to know. But I found that I ended up reading everybody else's textbooks. I've read Miller's twice. I've read the ortho textbook a few times. I mean, I've read everybody else's textbooks. And that's kind of how I learned. Uh, in that sense, did emergency medicine as a residency prepare me for ICU? The answer is probably no. Like, it, it's not there to prepare you for ICU topics. There's enough that you need to know for emergency medicine as it is. Um, the emergency medicine textbooks are big enough as they, is, as they are. Um, having said that, though, the, the personality you bring with you, the, you know, and all of us in medicine are overachievers, that's the most important. So fellowship, they throw you in the deep end and you have to swim or you're going to drown. You're going to be making calls that are truly life and death. The responsibility here is extraordinarily high. And that uh, inner desire to do a good job, that's what's going to make you learn the most. So guess what happened in ICU fellowship? I read everybody else's textbook again. I mean, that's what it, really what it is. Critical care doesn't have any boundaries. You could have an OB-GYN emergency. You can have an endocrine emergency. You can have a room emergency, all sorts of things. And I was just reading everybody else's textbook. And I reread a lot of the textbook I read as an emergency medicine resident because all of that information is pertinent. Um, I'm right now rereading some medical school textbooks. I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, I just remember as a medical student, thinking, man, there's too much to read. There's no way I'll get through all this. And lo and behold, you get through it, right? Mm -hmm. And as a resident, you feel the same way. As a fellow, you feel the same way. And yet now even as an attending, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm like, wow, I'm rereading these and learning new things. It's phenomenal. Like a lot of these textbooks, sometimes you have to read them two or three times to get everything out of them. And, but the key is that it's fun. Like it should never feel like it's a chore if it's fun, then you realize you, you picked right and you did the right thing. If it feels like a chore, then you might have picked wrong or you might have picked something that just really didn't interest you. A note for the listeners here. Becoming certified in emergency medicine and critical care requires plenty of studying. Say I'm still interested, though, and I complete residency and fellowship. What will my life look like at the end of it? What kind of shift balance can I expect? What type of benefits? Those sorts of things. Um, the hard part is that most places, the ICU group and emergency group are separate. And to get benefits at most places, you know, you need to work maybe 75% full-time equivalent. That's the case at OHSU. So for example, at OHSU, the emergency group and the critical care group were separate it would have been very hard to do both jobs and get benefits. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, at OHSU, they're actually the same group because it's an academic hospital. But most private hospitals, they are not together. And so that makes working a challenge. 
Um, and that makes working at community hospitals look something like I'm going to primarily do one thing and then I'm going to do moonlighting for the other thing. That's what it ends up looking like for a lot of people. And a lot of people who do do the fellowship after emergency medicine either do full critical care or full emergency, and they actually don't split their time very much anymore because they find a favorite and they just stick with it. Um, in my life is, again, very lucky because uh, it's the same group here at OHSU. And uh, I get to pick how much I want to split my time one side or the other. Because I work in so many different critical care environments, I have personally picked more ICU overall, like 75% ICU. This way I could do ECMO and CVICU and medical ICU, which are all very, very different from each other mm -hmm. and make it still feel equal. Um, so then 25% of it is emergency medicine. So that's that's my my time and my split. Um, that looks like three to four shifts in the ER a month and one and a half weeks to two uh, in the ICU a month. And what, what's the job market like for EM and, or ED intensivists? It's, it's pretty similar to if you were just a critical care medicine intensivist. Mm -hmm. Now, certain groups require, like they would only hire pulmonary critical care because they need that person to also staff pulmonary. So mm -hmm. having the pulmonary critical care makes your job market bigger in the United States. Uh, having said that, there's plenty of jobs for critical care medicine people alone. So you can, you just need to find a job that requires only critical care medicine or don't require you to have the pulmonary part and, and do that. But again, the challenge is how would you get benefits? So, you, you know, you're going to need whether it's 50% or 75% to, to get that. So you're just going to have to weight it in that way. I'm going to do this. So I could get the benefits at minimum, and then whatever extra I might moonlight in this other, this other world. Thank you. As this episode starts to wind to a close, I want to thank Dr. Ran again for agreeing to join us today. Summarizing our conversation so far, emergency medicine and critical care are both fascinating and unique specialties in their own rights, but also immensely complementary, whereby each allows you to practice the other more effectively. Given that more and more critical care programs are now open to emergency trained physicians and the need for intensivists is only expected to grow, where do you see the field heading? Will the Department of Emergency Medicine eventually offer its own critical care fellowship? Will new ED models like the ED-ICU being trialed in other parts of the country become more common? What do you see the future holding? That's uh a good question and, and really hard to say. Emergency medicine is the youngest specialty and yet it's growing tremendously. And I think the need for it is so strong that it will likely continue to grow. In certain regions of the country, the EDICU model evolved at a necessity and will probably continue to grow um, because there's not a good solution for the backlog that has occurred in these other parts of the country. Whether or not uh, you will need a fellowship to work in these split ICUs is going to be institution dependent and debatable. I think that um, 
I think that it can only, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure where emergency medicine will evolve. I think there's a fairly good chance that emergency will find its own track into critical care, but it's also tricky and a little dangerous too, because emergency physicians, we've evolved to fill a hole, a hole out of need. You know, patients need this type of care, but no one else was willing to provide it. And that's where the emergency medicine physicians came. But one of the things that haunt most of us as emergency medicine physicians is the sense of imposter syndrome, because here we are doing a little bit of everything, feeling like there's a specialist out there that can do that part of our job better every single time. And so the, the feeling of imposter syndrome is particularly strong in emergency medicine. And in critical care in particular, it draws from a lot of the other specialties, even more than emergency does, right? Critical care is gonna draw and be really the pillar of excellence in in cardiovascular care for the critically ill patient, in even endocrine care, for example. And so it would be somewhat difficult. There will be a big gap uh, to overcome for emergency to come up with its own fellowship. It's better off right now, and it works, to piggyback off of the existing ones. I think the job market is only going to grow for uh, ED intensivists. The fellowship um, group is only grown for ED-trained uh, ICU fellowship applicants. I mean, when I went through it, they were only allowed to take 25% of non-IM applicants into medicine critical care. And OHSU only had four critical care slots, which means every year they can only take one non-IM person. That rule's gone now. You know, This past year, most of our fellows are actually ED-trained. Like we're we're just taking over. Everybody loves it. Um, the the match, the personalities definitely fit quite well. So I'm not sure what the uh, emergency world is going to look like in the future. I do know that there's going to be more EDICUs probably. There's going to be a huge need for more intensivists, and many of them will turn out to have an ED background. It's not going to that's not going to matter. I think that you know we've proven that we can be quite strong in this role. Well, Dr. Ram, thank you for your time. Do you have any closing thoughts, um, things that you would like to mention? I appreciate you coming on. I think this was very informative and very helpful and, and also illuminating. I especially appreciate you bringing in some of your reasoning and how you feel about these fields. It's it's easy easy for me to identify with and, and recognize that this is probably something I'll be doing in the future as well. Yeah, I think, um, you know, as it stands now, you can't get to critical care immediately. Uh, so don't don't try and plan it too much. So if you're in a med medical student who wants to do ICU, don't worry about it. Like you could get there many different ways. Uh, really focus on the residency that you most uh, identify with or think you'll get the most out of. That residency is a job that you're going to want to work in. And pick your residency without even thinking about the ICU. Right. I mean, some people love the ICU and they were told it's better if you go through internal medicine. Then they hate internal medicine and becomes a bridge to something else that's going to dramatically reduce your performance in residency when you see it as a stepping stone. Um, every one of these steps, they're, they're a destination in and of itself. 
you know, you should already celebrate the fact that you've come this far and have finished medical school. Medical school is not just a stepping stone towards being a doctor. There, there's a lot of lessons there that that have that you've learned and you will continue to come back to and learn like I am doing right now. And residency is the same thing. It's not a stepping stone. It's it's a destination. And I would be happy if the you know critical care didn't exist and I finished emergency. I would be totally happy with that. That job was that that training was fantastic and emergency medicine is a fantastic job. Um, so don't don't get too caught up with trying to plan your life away as you know stepping stone to this to that to that. Um, really think about is this residency something I truly want to do? Uh, and that way you can't be wrong because your mind can change in the future. You might figure out, I actually don't like critical care. I'm done with training. I just want to work and that will be fine. Thank you, Dr. Ran. I love that advice. Once again, thank you for joining me on this episode of EMIGCAST, where we talked about emergency medicine and critical care and the philosophy of practicing both. I'm your host, Nick, Dr. Ran. Thank you again. Cool. Good luck. Yo.